This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Garrett Wong. I played Ensign Harry Kim on Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 19 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is um, our second supplement on Damon Lindelof's work as a screenwriter. We're going to be looking at the last movie which he wrote, or is credited with uh, writing, which is World War Z. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And we're joined once again by John from Words with Nerds. How's it going, John? It's going great. Thanks for having me on board. All right. Well, if you are confused by either our pacing or our numbering system, then you are a person. Yes. <laughs> I, I know, John, you're, you're a big fan of at least Lindelof's television work, Lost, right? Um, Absolutely. Losty till the day I die. Yeah, and we had you on to talk about uh, Cowboys what and What episode aliens. does that take place in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah cowboys and aliens yeah that that was an interesting uh discussion to have yes yeah so now we have you back for world war z um world war z is based on a book by max brooks he's the guy who wrote the zombie survival guide right yes and this was his first sort of uh fiction book i guess you could say um, um i think that the first one also qualifies I thought that that was more of sort of like a, just a a good general planning guide. It's fiction until it happens. Right. Okay. Right. Um, this movie stars Brad Pitt, <laughs> and it was produced by Brad Pitt amongst some other people. Uh, it was directed by Mark Forster, who directed Quantum of Solace, as well as some really bad Oscar nominees, like Finding Neverland. And uh, funny how that—that's the one that you call bad. That's yes. Well, whatever. Because Quantum of Solace is much worse, if you say so. Um, the screen story is by Matthew Michael Carnahan and J. Michael Straczynski of uh, Babylon Five fame. And the original screenplay was by Carnahan. Carnahan—he's the brother of Joe Carnahan, and he is the writer of. The Kingdom, amongst other things. Well, some not some of them are good, like The Kingdom. Um, yeah. yeah, there's 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 a huge long epic story behind this, and it was. And we'll, we'll get into this. No, that, I mean you but, don't need to get into it. If you were well, if you we'll if you were interested it. in it at all, you heard not that story, but a thousand different stories over the course of a really long time. Yeah, but needless to say. Or, or maybe it, it, it's needed to say... It does, because, I mean, you just said something that's kind of inaccurate when you actually look at the history. Okay, well, he wrote the original screenplay as it was, you know, presented when they started filming. And then, sure. as I understand it, after filming was completed, they decided that the ending needed to be redone. And they hired Damon Lindelof along with Drew Goddard to um, rewrite the ending. Um, Goddard, of course, is the director of 
Cabin in the Woods and co-writer of Cabin in the Woods and also the writer of uh, Cloverfield, amongst other things. Uh, so there's that. So now, um, Max, before we get into our thoughts on the movie and everything, would, would you like to give sort of a synopsis of the film? Um, the, a synopsis of the film is sort of in, insane because the movie is ridiculous and it has, I, I mean, like it's 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 based on a book that is not particularly narrative-y. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is significantly more narrative-y, but it doesn't really come together in like a really concise logical way because even once you've watched the like A to B to Z storyline in which you follow one character, upon reflection there are huge problems. And things that don't quite make sense, uh, which is problematic because really not that much happens. He's hanging out with his family and he worked for the UN and then there's a zombie outbreak and then he uh, follows uh, a bunch of guys who he knew from his UN days when he did crazy stuff for the UN because the UN does crazy stuff. He then decides to go along with this mission to save the world. And leaves his family on an aircraft carrier and then goes from one country to another following a thread that is slightly thinner than... No, there's no previous... Oh, two-dimensional objects! Okay, and then he eventually ends up uh, in Wales at a WHO facility where he meets Peter Capaldi, who is a doctor for the WHO somehow. Yeah. And nobody brings that up in the movie because apparently history works at a particular orientation. Mm -hmm. But the movie doesn't, um, which is why at that point he reveals his revelation that he has figured out the problem and that we need to get uh, infected with uh, some sort of terminal disease so that the zombies don't attack us because um, that holds water under about half of the scenes involving the zombies and the other half doesn't. Okay, so now, Max, you've read the book. I did read the book. Now, can you kind of describe what that is? Because it's not a typical, like, prose novel, right? No, it's, it's, it, is, it is a weird kind of epistolary novel. It's, it's, like, it's not just, like, letters. There's also, like, like conversations, um, transcripts. It's, it's not one particular thing. It's kind of a bunch of different things. And, like, there, are, there is a series of events described in it. Um, but it is it is sort of like like scattered. There, there, there's the series of events is like what you would piece together if you, you know, flipped channels from like all of the news stations. You'd it, know basically if there's an election going on, and that's probably about it. You know that there's a battle in Yonkers at some point, and it's a very big deal. But you don't really know like the names of most of these people, and the names you do know, you forget instantly because they're meaningless names. They're just characters who saw a particular thing and described it. And it's a big, giant bunch of stuff. And some of it is legitimately cool, but it doesn't really hold together as a novel. It's a cool idea in novel form. It it, it sounds, I, I haven't read it, but your description sounds like it's almost a cross between uh, Dracula that, that Stoker wrote and like Rant by Palinuk. Where it's sort of like chopped up with these, you know, these snippets here and there telling that are that are supposedly telling a story. Would that be accurate? Um, I mean, not well. I mean, like I know what you're saying, but like, 
like Dracula, it's it's an epistolary novel in the same way, like lots and lots and lots of like genre fiction from like like that era is. I mean, like it's no more like like connected tonally than like any. I mean, Frankenstein's also an epistolary novel. It doesn't really read like one, but it is. But like it's it's most similar to I would say like War of the Worlds, the radio version, okay. or like. Uh, um, like any of those sorts of things where like reality is sort of uh, subjugated for a temporary version in which like uh, like a like a documentary about something absurd. I mean, like the world the world's thing has been done a few times. Is what it was like a TV version in the nineties, like ninety one or something, uh, with like basically the exact same story. And um, I mean, failsafe. I mean, like it's the same kind of thing, except in this one, it's zombies. You know, thinking about the the book compared to the movie, like in terms of the. Uh the actual like events which are going on in both and the characters and stuff like that how similar is it no no, no. not nothing at all so like, no i mean like you could make an argument there are similar things because like there are legitimately similar things but it's similar things in the sense that like there's an apocalypse and yes you're going to hear about uh you know uh, oh uh, we can't get any signal from london anymore yeah i mean obviously there's going to be some overlap but like but the, aside like... from the apocalypse uh-huh. theme there is like you can make an argument that Brad Pitt's character's in the book, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that until somebody brought it up. Like after I'd seen the movie, I was like, "Oh yeah, he was. There was that guy. Okay, all right. That was that's what that guy's name was. All right, I forgot his name because he was irrelevant." So it's not like they say like you know, oh, I mean, do they even say like we found a uh, no. a camouflage? No, no, okay. Does it does it end with anything other than the world ending, or is it just like no? The world's already ended. The book doesn't end with the world ending. The book kind of starts there. It's like it's a bunch of people talking about stuff that happened. So they don't find a, a way to beat the zombies. No, they find a way to beat the zombies, but it's not like a mad. There's no magic bullet. Like it's hmm. like there are actually a thousand different magic bullets that are described over the course of it, and it's not like like the the camouflage thing. It's a it's a thing that describes how like the war continues in a way that is not devastating like they've got a strategy now mm-hmm. but it's very clearly not like the game changer it's not like oh now we'll win so easy right it's it's like the book is sort of similar in that it's not uh it, there's no like day where it turns like the, the the day where it turns is kind of like the day where it seems like maybe we will not totally be obviously losing here okay so one last question regarding this thing um, not in terms of the quality or anything like that, but just in terms of the faithfulness. Would you consider, now obviously it being oh a different a different format and everything like that, but would you consider this to be a faithful adaptation of the book? I do not agree with the notion of faithful adaptations. Okay. I think that that's a flawed statement, and the question needs to be described much more precisely. The, is it... Is it uh, if you were going to make a narrative movie out of this book, would you imagine it to look something like what was not 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 in terms of not in terms of like what okay. you would expect, <laughs> but in terms of like if you were you know given the task of adapting this book into a narrative movie, would you expect it to come out something like this? No, but that's not because that it's wrong. It's because there, it, 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 it's the sort of thing where like uh, any adaptation is going to be absurd. 
Okay. Because if you were to turn this into a particular narrative, like a story that starts at one point and ends at that story's ending, you are not making the same thing. So no matter what, you are not going to be making a faithful adaptation if you are turning this into a narrative that has a star, for say. I mean, like, you could turn this into a narrative easily. But in order to make it into a two-hour movie, you would need to make a different thing entirely. Okay. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. And in terms of, like, this being an adaptation that is appropriate, I would say it's about as appropriate as you can get. Okay. So now getting into the movie itself. Um, John, you hadn't seen this movie up until now, right? Correct. I, I had not. I wasn't avoiding it, but I just hadn't gotten around to it. And now that you've seen it, uh, what did you think? Uh, I like it in spite of itself. Um, I, it's one of those things where if I sit down and I start thinking about it too hard, uh, it really starts to unravel. But while I was watching it, while I was in the moment, I enjoyed it. There were certain things that turned me off. There was actually a specific moment in the film where... I where something happens and I just pretty much disengaged emotionally and intellectually with it and said, okay, you know, I'm going to ride this out, but I want to see, and I, I want to see where this goes from here just because I've committed the time. This is a podcast. You could say what that is. Yeah, I guess let's let's (laughs) just say this here because I mean, we're, we're going to have to, to get into the ending. So if you haven't seen this movie, what? If you haven't seen this, oh movie, my god, are we really doing spoiler no, alerts? No, no, well, this 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 is going to be. Hey, there is zombies. This is going to be a big spoiler alert. You know, I mean, because it, unlike you know most things that we talk about, like here, we're going to have to talk about the ending. So if you yeah. haven't seen World War Z, oh my god, this is ridiculous. We're going to end up spoiling something. For Here's you. a okay, fun fact: fine. Brad Pitt's character doesn't die in the film. Fair, okay, fair, okay. fair enough. Fair enough. I'm being too careful. When the zombies <laughs> start climbing the wall in Jerusalem is the point where I started to disengage with the film. But I was holding on, and then when they threw the grenade in the plane is the uh-huh. moment at which I basically had a reaction of, this, this ending really better turn things around, otherwise I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Yeah. And uh, it managed to keep me. The ending managed to keep me interested because I liked the ending. And uh, I, I liked... They seemed to be going on this trajectory that indicated that the movie was going to be a complete flame out by the end. But instead, for my opinion, you feel like after that plane crash, you feel like they, a whole bunch of people ran into the room and said, we, we have to fix things right now because it, it completely seems to shift gears. And I, I think the ending that they delivered, not the very last ending where he's riding into the bay or anything like that, but I, I really like the ending that they delivered of, of going to the, you know, the WHO lab and, and getting the, you know, having him inject himself with something awful. Like, it, it, it was good. I enjoyed it. I thought it reintroduced the tension and interest that uh, earlier parts of the movie had had for me. Okay. Um, well, Max, what about you? What were your thoughts on the movie in general? Um, like... I mean, like most movies, it's a complete mess. Um, but this is a mess in a way that is actually kind of amusing. And 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 John is right. There is something very significant about that point where the zombies cry, crest over the wall. 
and, and because that is the first point where where it goes to movie logic, where yeah. the star is here, so something needs to happen. But like he is there very specifically because they have managed to keep the zombies out. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets there, they get in. Yeah. And yeah. that timing is the problem. The problem and the isn't that, that it the happens. Guy who spots yeah. The, the, them coming the problem over the isn't wall. that it happens. The problem is that it happens right then when he walks in. Yeah. Like that is that is the real problem. If it if like he got there and they were like it was totally fine, and then some kids started singing, and we were like, kids, stop singing, and they were like. Why? And we were like, because of zombies. And they were like, what? <laughs> and like, then there was a whole thing, and then this girl lost her hand. It's a whole big deal. Well, for me, um, I don't know. I had sort of a, a very opposite reaction watching it now than the first time I watched it, which is when the movie came out. First time I watched it, I um, was kind of into it up until the end, like up until he gets to the to the research facility. Um it kind of despite itself like this is a weird movie where like i heard about it and i'm like world war z and then like mark forster is making it well i like him really? and i like all the the, the writers I, every single one has written i think a, a really really great movie and you know it seemed like oh well this is going to be good i like brad pitt and everything and yet i think it was just because the trailer was on front of every single movie for about three months prior I was just like, Weird. I cannot wait for this movie to come out so I never have to see that trailer again for the rest of my life. And um, going into the movie, I was just sort of like, obviously I need to watch this because of the people involved, but I'm really not excited about it. And when I watched it, I was sort of very intrigued by sort of the world that they were um you know, depicting like the story itself didn't really interest me, but I really liked like showing how various facets of this society were working now and, and, and how it was sort of really like global in nature and, and all that stuff. Well, there's a cool moment on the, on the, on the, the, air, the aircraft carrier when like you see the, like all of the nations of the world joining into one grand fleet uh-huh, and you yeah. hear it in dialogue and you're like, that's actually kind of awesome. Yeah. And it's like stuff like that I thought was cool. Um, and then when, by the time they got to the research facility at the end, I'm just like, okay, well, we know what's going to happen now. They're going to find a camouflage and then let, can we just get through this please now so that we can go home. And this time around, now that I had already seen all that other stuff and seen how they the, the world worked and everything – I was very much bored by the first hour and a half. And then when they got to the end, I was sort of intrigued by the drama of it. And I was like, wow. And part of it was that I was watching it for the ending since this was, you know, the Lindelof thing. But I'm like, this is a really interesting way to go in this movie. You know, they've essentially turned it into a very small little you know, almost horror type of movie instead of a big, huge action movie. Mm-hmm. And and I appreciate that now. So I, I, on the whole, I guess my reaction to it was the same as before, which is like, uh, it's okay. You know, I'm really not blown away by it. I will probably never watch it again. I probably would have never watched it again if it weren't for this podcast. And um, But it's for the opposite elements, in a sense. It's kind of kind of crazy. Really? But, yeah. That's not that's not 
There's nothing crazy. That's that's well, like it's, the it's totally just, normal well, audience maybe, reaction. Maybe. Like I I watched this movie thinking like like I when this movie was coming out, I was thinking I have heard so much crazy stuff about this. Mm-hmm. There is no way this holds together at all. Yeah. And I expected it to be such a complete mess that when I saw it, I was like, "Wow, it's only about like half a mess." Yeah. yeah. It's kind of weird. It's kind of impressive how like only half of it's a mess. That's kind of cool. And the ending, I thought, was like the the it is the best part of the movie for a lot of different reasons. And one of the best parts of it is that like it's the first time that like like the actual zombie action makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> like everything else, it's sort of like like just the just even the physics of it don't really work. I mean, like like it's it's neat when you see like that that bizarre like like crest of zombies against the wall and then you do a little bit of math in your head and you're like no that doesn't make sense well even even with the <laughs> zombies jumping down i mean this is this is i think where a lot of um zombie vampire all, all of that sort of supernatural stuff r- gets itself into trouble nowadays is it's obsessed with giving the quote-unquote believable supernatural and mm-hmm. you know, like the zombies jump off the wall, and then they jump up, and they get well. No, they're still human bodies. If that human body jumps from the top of that wall and lands on a car, you know, its joints are shattered, it, its bones are powder. Like the, you know, it, it's completely a mess. It might still be alive, but it's not running after anybody. Yeah, there's a weird like there's there's, there's a really neat thing like I when 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 I watched this movie like the 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 unrated cut and I saw like the extended sort of thing and I was finally watching the movie like like very specifically because the first time I watched it I was basically not even looking at the screen but uh, <laughs> like that opening with like all the ants I was like oh I get it this is the inspiration for all that crazy zombie behavior like the ants like working as like a as like a hive mind and then there's the bees and the bees like working as like a hive structure and all these things are working together and like they are sort of a group mind. There is sort of a weird Borgness to the zombies, which I think is very appropriate because it's a natural evolution of a meme. But the, like, there are there are problems of the physics of it, and and like some of it is is plausible. Like they they don't feel pain like people, so they we would be resilient. They would deal right. with a broken bone, and they would not be stopped. They would keep going, but they wouldn't run. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and I also. Uh, like, uh, you know, so long as we're we're pinging the zombies thing. I mean, it's like I, I, I very much, you know, attach to the sort of Romero thing. Like I didn't, you know, the, stepping away even from the I didn't feel there was any sort of like societal message to the zombies or anything like that. But these zombies didn't even stop to eat. Like it, it's one like they were just running around to propagate themselves. And I guess, yeah. OK, we'll find that's how these zombies work or whatever. But I'm still sitting there and they're they're asking me to believe them scientifically. Well, then why aren't they like, at least the zombies even like walking dead or anything else will not, they won't just like bite somebody and turn them. They'll actually be trying to eat them to consume them because they're still animals that need food. And so like, that's, that's sort of the, you know, another thing, as long as we're talking about like sort of like that, that scientific aspect to it, it's like, wouldn't they be trying to eat people as well as propagate? Like, that that that's one of those things that sort of breaks apart for me. Well, there is that there is the frustrating division of the of the zombie meme. There are definitely two different schools of thought on it, and I think I think fans of the genre are sort of split internally on it. I, I definitely side with um, both sides of the question of is it appropriate for the zombies to just function by different rules? 
I, I do kind of like the way that in Day of the Dead they literally are unexplainably still animated by only a brain. And I do really like the idea of it being plausible and related to some sort of infection. Both work really well for me. And uh, and I just want them to pick a side, you know, pick a yeah. side and roll with it. And when you don't pick a side, you end up with kind of it being sloppy. Well, I, I but actually even with the, the social, me- like, was there any social message to the book since since you've read it? Like, was there anything any sort of theme that because i didn't get that from the movie i didn't get i got this is a movie to watch because it's about the end of the world i didn't get there's any message about humanity or our condition or anything like that about it i i mean i think that there's something weird that goes on with this where where, where like people say like oh i mean like people say like i don't think that is about like uh, like like a cultural change in like like America and 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 people say Dawn of the Dead is about like the rise of consumerism and it's like you know like zombies are really just a metaphor for transformation of culture and and World War Z is is legitimately a movie about the apocalypse and and like it's a zombie apocalypse but ultimately it's about the apocalypse it doesn't matter what it is and it it is kind of it is like it is it is legitimately a movie about something that is theoretically possible and in a way it's sort of odd to say that this is a movie about what to do in the event of the apocalypse but it is that is what it is and when the apocalypse rolls around people remember this movie and think you know it did have something to say about this <laughs> okay okay all right so so let's let's move on to the ending um and and talk about that and um, now, for those people who don't know, the original ending, as written by Matthew Michael Carnahan and shot by Mark Forster, um, involved uh, the original ending. The plane, <laughs> the plane lands in in Russia, is where they're going to the research facility. And when they get to Russia, basically, they what from what I, I read, you know, they they kill the the sick and draft the 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 healthy into the army or whatever and basically there's a massive battle in Russia and and what um Tom or I'm sorry Brad Pitt's character learns almost no wait no it wasn't it was almost Leo that's what it was <laughs> yeah what Brad Pitt's character learns in Russia is that um the zombies seem to slow down in the cold and he somehow gets a hold of his wife, and he's like, you know, get to someplace cold. And she's like, well, I'm in, like, the sweltering heat of the Everglades right now or something like that. And uh, so so he, <laughs> for, for whatever happens, they, they fight these zombies, and then they end up basically traveling across the world. And the movie ends with them storming the beaches of, like, Washington or something like that, like, Normandy style. And that's the end of the movie. Like, he's going to try to save his family. And then there's no, like, you know, clear-cut, you know, cure or anything like that. And, there still isn't. And before, before this was um, even finished, it was decided that uh, a new ending needed to be... Um, written, and they brought in Goddard, Drew Goddard, and Damon Lindelof to rewrite the third act, essentially, and they came up with the whole thing at the research facility, and it is interesting in that article that we we discussed last week um, that Lindelof talks about how 
you know, they wanted to go smaller. And that's what the movie needed. And he also talks about how, had he been assigned to write the movie from scratch like Carnahan had, he probably would have come up with the same ending as Carnahan. It needed someone else to come in after, you know, all of this stuff in the studio and everything to say, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to end this in just, like, a laboratory. Sure. At the same time, the idea that the zombies slow down in the cold and that's the uh, their Achilles heel... Uh-huh. Yeah, go someplace where it's super freezing and like, you know, like when you can't move and yeah. you're terrified and you're afraid that you're going to freeze to death at any moment. That's their weakness. <laughs> also ours. So They slow down, you know, like everything in the world. <laughs> oh, the so, irony. <laughs> so, John, uh, what do you think about this new ending compared to the old one? This new ending is the only one that I would have wanted to see, uh, in all honesty. I There's a part of me that's vaguely intrigued that maybe they'll release an edition that has that original filmed ending. I mean, as long as they put it together, why not see it? Um, well, Forster has said that's probably never going to happen because they never really finished it. Oh, okay. Well, so they, n- they shot it, but they didn't edit it together. There's right. no way okay. they made all the CGI zombies yeah. fully rendered. Although I mean, like, there, there's, there probably, stuff, there's probably a previs. Yeah, well, there, there is stuff like in the montage at the end where they're like, the Battle of Russia or the Battle of Moscow is still raging or something like that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's true. pieces I, of it. Yeah, like probably in the movie. Like when you've got, when you got to whip it up, I mean, you've got a pre-visualized battle in Moscow. I mean, sure, render one of the cooler parts of it. Yeah. Okay. You know, but like, like there's no way they finished. Like this movie was... This movie was in the render farm for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I imagine it was. So <laughs> well, anyway, John, fa- fair, yeah. fair point. But I, I, you know, I think that this is the only ending that truly worked. I, I'm, you know, I think I said earlier, like I, I would have completely disengaged from the movie if they had kept going bigger. Like, and it mm-hmm. definitely felt like that was it. After that plane crash, they just completely changed direction, and you can, yeah. you can sense it, you can feel it, you can see it where they they made that decision and i think that it's the only decision that could have possibly made like if they had gone with that bigger ending that bigger you know storming the beaches ending i honestly think this would have gone down in history as one of those huge ishtar style flops where the first weeks of audience the first weeks worth of audience comes out and says don't go see this movie this is hysterically bad this just keeps getting worse as it goes forward. And so I think that this ending is, you know, hats off to Lindelof for going smaller um, and also for being classy enough to say that, oh, I think I would have written it this, you know, for a bigger ending had I written the first draft. Um, I, you know, I think this is the only ending they could have chosen. All right. Well, what about you, Max? I think that the old ending is complete garbage, but that's, because I mean, it's it. The whole project is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous movie. The ending is actually, I mean, it's good in the sense that it redeems a lot of things. It, it sort of resolves a huge bunch of problems. But I mean, like, it's still not. It still doesn't make the movie work. Yeah, but it, but at the very least, it it helps it work in the sense that like it starts small-ish. I mean, granted, there's, you know, the yeah, end no, of the no. world, but, like, it starts smallish, and then it ends smallish, so there's more of a feeling of that full circle. No, there's absolutely, there's absolutely, a, like, a logical, like, reason for why, like, the ending change is super important, because, I mean, you are right, if, 
if the movie did not change gears at that point, it would be an utter calamity. And, and like, in that sense, you have to say, well, it's really great. But at the same time, like, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, a, it's a desperate um, Hail Mary. It's, 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 a, it's a weird sort of thing that, that is, is inexplicably very helpful. Because in this movie, at this point, even this kind of half-thought-out resolution is fantastically important. Mm -hmm. In this context, you really need this halfway decent situation to occur because it kind of, it sort of apologizes for the rest of it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm conflicted in a sense because like thematically and everything, I kind of like what the, uh, the original ending had going for it. But I do feel like this new ending is um, better, like, structurally and, and, and everything and in terms of the overall movie. So I don't really know. I mean, maybe, I don't know, but... I mean, look, I think it's totally fair to say that in this context, this was the best available option, but this context should not have occurred. Oh, and maybe yeah. that's what it was. I don't know, but... but it at the very least in this ending like it's the it's the point in the film where i you really feel or at least i really feel like pitt acts heroically mm-hmm. you know like through the rest of the movie he's sort of just a victim of circumstance sort of surfing the story mm-hmm. whereas in this one when they're in that lab part you know like he's the one that distracts zombies by you know clanging the crowbar and running off and being the one to inject himself so even though it goes smaller, the hero becomes bigger and clearer at the end. He he seems to complete more of a hero's journey uh, by in this ending than just continually being a victim of circumstance and propelling through and having the world act on him instead of him acting to change the world. Does that make sense? It's yeah. absolutely true. I mean, like it's it's an, it's a, it's a very important scene for a lot of things. I'm sure that the ridiculous like Russia ending probably had some important uh, character transformation for him. But the idea of him becoming a sort of just generally obviously responsible person it's it's like there. It's just he never gets the chance to do it, which I think is sort of the real problem with it. I don't really think he changes. It's just he never had a a moment where he could actually make a choice. Yeah, but it, it's it's interesting though too, you know, sort of like building. Well, the movie with the the movie with the cans is awesome. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's interesting though too, like building on what John was saying that um, there's uh, he is more heroic, but at the same time, it's not in just like a huge battle thing. You know, he's being heroic by you know, injecting himself with, with something, you know, as opposed to, uh, killing a bunch of things. Sure. You I, know, that's not something that you see too often in movies like this. Sure no, but I don't. I, sh- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I mean, I just, I just don't think that that's, I don't think he changed. Well, I mean, maybe, like, that's just, maybe he that's just where he yeah, ended well, up. I don't think that, yeah. <laughs> like he didn't, he, he didn't, didn't do change, anything but... like unusual. He didn't like come to that point where he was like, Oh, I've got to do this crazy thing. Like yeah. he was like, he was going to do that crazy thing. If, if he had arrived there on like the second day, he would have done exactly the same thing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Because the thing is he's, he's forced into things as he, as he goes along up until that ending. 
and the ending there's really I, I I really got the feeling that he you know he he does change and I like you know thank goodness he injected himself with something that they could develop a cure for as opposed to you know like yeah. oops, sorry you, you developed something we were taking a look at but um yeah you've got 21 days left so thanks anyway yeah yeah and he's like that's plenty of time for a sequel <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> yeah. He ages well, so you know he could do that. One last thing. In terms of Star Trek collaborators, uh, this movie shares an executive producer with Into Darkness, and that's David Ellison, who runs Skydance. Um, he's the son of uh, the Oracle guy and the sister of or, or brother of Megan Ellison. Okay, what do you mean the Oracle guy? The guy who, who owns Oracle, right? I don't know. I yeah. don't know who owns Oracle. Uh, some something something Ellison, Mister Ellison. I don't know. I forget his, his first name. But anyway, yeah, he's basically he's you know super billionaire dude, and his kids. Narla. Yeah, and and his kids are are too um, <laughs> too young uh, financiers and, and movie producers or whatever. And his daughter has decided to give money to. Um, the best and brightest in the industry, people like Paul Thomas Anderson and Spike Jones, and she's... oh, so she randomly distributes money, <laughs> and she's getting you know Oscar nominations left. She's got and a right. boggle machine that she just like selects those names and hands and, them dollar bills. And David Ellison is is you know using his money to fund you know big budget movies like this and Star Trek and GI Joe and Terminator and and also I, a boggle machine and and both of them. <laughs> Both of them, I think, are doing like extraordinary work as sort of uh, uh, in in terms of using their money for for good, um, as opposed to well, if you randomly nothing. distribute money around, it's probably going to be better than it's investing wisely. They're okay. making smarter decisions than Gollum Globus did. Look, she, you know, Megan Ellison <laughs> is funding two two Paul Thomas Anderson movies oh in a God. row. So. Okay, so so anyway, completely like that's a good example of how all, random it is. All I'm saying is, you know. David Ellison produced this movie, and he also produced Into Darkness, and that's cool. Anyway. No, it actually isn't. Okay. It's an unfortunate reality that... Uh, you can't win every time is what movies. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, John, any uh, final thoughts on um, World War Z? You know, I, uh, like you, I doubt that I'm going to um, go back, and this isn't going to be something where I'm going to get the Blu-ray collector's edition, and, uh, you know, yay, I've got it. But at the same time, I'm not sorry that I saw it. I, mm-hmm. you know, I like it. It's it was fun. It's worth a viewing. Um, the difference between the uh, theatrical and unrated cut is minimal at best. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, it's not. It well, is there's just, a, there's a, it's just utterly irrelevant changes. There, there's a lot of very tiny things. There's like, like an uh, extra like, gunshot, some extra crowd scenes. I, I thought, like, I saw both of them. I could not tell a difference. And I brought it up on a podcast, and then Mike looked it up, and he's like, there's 117 changes in the first five minutes. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but it's all it's all very minor stuff. It's like an yeah. extra six seconds here and an extra seven seconds there, which almost begs the, like, I, I, I honestly, I don't get how... The editing process works, obviously, because I looked at it and I was like, eh, why, why would you, I, I don't understand why you made these changes. Like, well, what specifically motivated them? 
But yeah, it's it's interesting. I've I've always wondered about things like that too. I know like a, there's a lot does seem to be a bit more blood splatter and stuff. Things that probably they had to trim to get an R or to get a PG thirteen. Yeah, but, uh, I, I think aside, when her hand cut off, when yeah, her there's hand a gets lot cut of, off. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of blood splatter there. But. I I suspected that when the 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 guy accidentally shoots himself in the head. There mm-hmm. was more blood in the unedited, the uncut version. Yeah, but I'm you're not right. sure. I'm not sure. No, you're you're absolutely right. There was. I am. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure. So, it's and, and, and sorry, and any anything else that you had, John, or, or is that? Oh no, that that's about it. it you know, it's okay. worth a viewing, but it's not going to be your favorite movie of all time. Okay. And if it is, you're probably a monster. <laughs> you <laughs> should what, be what? institutionalized. That's, yeah. that's the final line. At a WHO facility <laughs> with a zombie, where they will inject you with something to cure you. <laughs> what, well, maybe not. <laughs> what What about you, Max? I don't have any final thoughts on this movie. People are going to be talking about how stupidly this movie was made for a very long time. It's a pla- it's a classic example of a terrible project that went poorly because it shouldn't have been made. It was just a dumb idea. It was adapted by somebody who wanted to do a different thing. If you want to make a zombie movie about the with like the end of the world and the aircraft carriers and Brad Pitt saves the day, don't adapt a completely different thing. In order to get there, just say, hey, what if Brad Pitt saves the world from zombies with, like, punching? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's where you start. And, like, everything about this movie <laughs> seems to be, like, um, let's do something ridiculous. And every single step of the way, they were like, hey, this is really hard to make good. Mm. Oh, right, because it was a bad idea. All right. That's yeah. the moral of the story. The moral of the story is if you want to make a good movie, don't don't make all the bad decisions. Okay. I, I'm very uh, conflicted on this movie. It's it, But either way, my feelings are not strong. Either it's kind of bad or it's kind of good. And it's a little of both. And, it, you know, I, I would it's not... a lot more of the bad. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> agree with that. I would say it's pretty much 50-50, you know, right down the middle. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's, I mean, it's fine to watch if you want to watch it, but there are way better movies to watch and you're not going to get anything great out of it. So that is what it is, but it's not like it's a terrible movie. It yeah. actually is a terrible movie. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I really it, don't it, it think so. It being fine to watch does not mean no, that no, it's no, because okay. th- there is there is a lot of like cool stuff in there. It's but just it's not a it's good just movie. Very very sort of like clunkily made. Okay, yeah. if you're saying that it has a whole bunch of neat shots in it, no, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> and because it doesn't have a whole bunch of neat shots in it, that's the problem. Uh, okay, that, it, like, it, it has it has like some interesting content. But it's in like a story, which is kind of boring. And uh, the direction, I've never liked Mark Forster's direction, even in Quantum of Solace, which is a movie that I like. I thought the worst part of that movie was the direction. So whatever. Okay. It is what it is. No, everything about this movie is a mess. Okay. That it doesn't completely fly apart is a miracle. And obviously they've got some Scotty in there that kept it going. Mm -hmm. But this is not a good thing. I, okay. I, I know somebody who agrees with you, Max, but I, I politely disagree. I, I think it's worth at least one watch. Yeah. I, I'm not even arguing that it's worth a watch or not worth a watch. It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter if it's enjoyable. It is a complete mess. It is a pile of garbage. I mean, maybe. But 
It is totally fun to watch. Um, but it is a pile of garbage. I'm, I'm not convinced that is totally fun. To watch. <laughs> I, I, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say total pile of garbage. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't no. say that either. I mean, granted, that's not the the most ringing endorsement in the history of you know. <laughs> yeah. See, World War Z, totally not a total pile of garbage. But it's you know, it, yeah. I might, I might take issue with any one of those words. <laughs> All right. Well, John, uh, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Castle Junkie, uh, or you can find me actually uh, at uh, Words with Nerds, which is a uh, podcast I co-host uh, every Thursday and is hosted on Podbean. Yes. Yes. Be sure to check it out. It's very entertaining, unlike World War Z. <laughs> um, so th- thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. My and, pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Well, that was fun talking to John about World War Z, but that's not all that we're talking about on Trek.fm this week, so here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And, like, we were so busy, we didn't eat, like, all day. (laughs) I had a Red Bull around 5 o'clock, right before the parsecs. Uh, I could feel my teeth, like, tingling. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. Earl Grey. He was robbing the bokle, as they, as they say it in, uh, in Klingon. <laughs> I, that's a Klingon word I just made up, just to see that. I think we could tell. The orb. What I also liked, too, was that Nog said, put that in there, too, to Jake, and let people decide. And that just summed up DS9 for me, because DS9 is, you know, we're not going to tell you for sure he's a bad captain, even though, obviously, I think most people would agree that he was. To the journey! Oh yeah, Balana's reading romantic fanfic. Not everything is fanfic, okay? This yes, could it be is. a legitimate author with a legitimate publisher. <laughs> no, this is Klingon Harlequin. You know it is. Warp 5. The Orions, there's something really complex going on within their society, and there's a long-term struggle where the women have flipped the table on the men. And how does that all play out? And it's something where I wish Enterprise had gone for seven seasons and they could have continued to revisit this and we find out more and more. The Ready Room. You know, people have seen that image. That, that image in particular, just that still of her with the Desilu yeah. logo over it, is really iconic. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what I discovered is it's not a still. It's probably 26 different stills. Commentary, Trek Stars. A number of scenes... Uh, from especially the end of Into Darkness are sort of lifted and adapted from Wrath of Khan to be used in this story. Lifted and Google translated into this version. Literary Treks. We all know Troy gets all the, the men that come on, the, the, the all the envoys, actually. You, you notice that she really likes these bad boy envoy men, you know? <laughs> she does. Continuing Mission. How is Spock changing? How is he changed from the moment he met Captain Kirk from the, the, the non-mirror universe? What is his ultimate goal? Axanar, the official podcast. So basically you've got this souped-up computer with this lens on the front of it. And um, because the resolution has increased so much with these cameras, the amount of data coming out of that camera is enormous. And join us in welcoming aboard Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. 
I'm really, really glad that you mentioned Parliament Funkadelic. I could not watch this at all without thinking about George Clinton. Yeah, so, and, uh, and just every yeah. time he talks about going to Parliament, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would, I, who wouldn't want to go? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit trek.fm and get all the links. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek Stars, to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone, like World War Z, The Complete Edition, An Oral History of the Zombie War, which was written by Max Brooks, like we said. This is narrated by Max Brooks, Alan Alda, John Turturro, Rob Reiner, Mark Hamill, Alfred Molina, Simon Pegg, Henry Rollins, and Martin Scorsese. That sounds awesome. It's 12 hours and 8 minutes long. That's uh, crazy. And that's the abridged version. That is the craziest list of names. How many Oscar winners are there? I mean, right. I think it's case. four, actually. Okay. All right. Well, regardless, um, World War Z, the complete edition. Maybe it's not abridged then. Yeah, I guess it's the complete edition. Is the a new, complete abridged edition. Okay, is a new <laughs> recording of Max Brooks's best-selling novel, World War Z, an oral history of the zombie war, featuring 21 additional Hollywood A-list actors and sci-fi fan favorites performing stories in, not included in the original edition. New narrators include Academy Award-winning director Martin Scorsese, Spider-Man star Alfred Molina, yeah, yeah Spider-Man. <clears throat> Wait, he wasn't in the first one. Walking Dead creator what? Frank Darabont. <laughs> okay. Rapper Common. He went to my college. Common? Yeah. Firefly star Nathan Fillion. Shaun of the Dead's Simon Pegg. Oh, because he's zombies. Got it. And members of the casts of Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, Heroes, and more. Who's the Star Trek person? Well, they, there's 21 people here. They don't they don't have them all listed. But here it says, um, World War Z, the complete edition, movie tie-in edition, an oral history of the zombie wars, a new version of Max Brooks's episodic zombie novel. The abridged versions of the original stories are now joined with new, unabridged recordings of the episodes that were not included in the original abridged version of the audiobook. These additional episodes feature a star-studded cast of narrators to coincide with the upcoming release of the film. Max Brooks will be reprising his role as the interviewer. The original abridged edition, released in 2006, won an Audi Award for Best Multi-Voiced Performance. In this new classic of apocalyptic fiction that feels all too real, the zombie war came unthinkably close to eradicating humanity. The documentary-style oral history records, or records, oral history records the testimony of men, women, and sometimes children who came face-to-face with the living, or at least the undead, 
Hell of That Dreadful Time, featuring five more hours of previously unrecorded content. This full cast recording is read by F. Marie Abraham, there's your Star Trek, Alan Alda, Rene Aubergenois, he just joined Twitter, and he's in Star Trek too. He just joined Twitter? Yeah. Becky Ann Baker, Dennis Boutsikaris, Bruce Boxleitner, Max Brooks, Nikki Klein, Common, Denise Crosby, Frank Darabont, Dean Edwards, Mark Hamill, Nathan Fillion, Maz Jabrani, Frank Kamai, Michelle Kolos, John McElroy, um, Aid McCormick, Alfred Molina. How many names do you know how to pronounce in this list? Par- Parminder Nagra, Ajay Fewer Naidu. Than I expect. <laughs> Macy Oka, Steve Masioka. Masioka. The Japanese guy from Heroes. Oh, okay. Um, Steve Park, Cal Penn, Simon Pegg, Jurgen Prochnow, Carl Reiner, Rob Reiner, Henry Rollins, Jerry Ryan, J.O. Sanders, Martin Scorsese, Paul Sorvino, David Ogden Steers, Brian T., John Turturro, Iman Walker, Rick Young, and Walid Zwiter. And you can get this book for free. (laughs) Since you're a listener uh, to Trek FM. Um, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. You know what book I would choose? Star Wars. I do. I do Star, know. Star Wars A New Dawn. That's what I was going to say. I was going to guess that. The first of the new uh, canon. What? Anyway. The new Star Wars canon. Oh, I'm kidding. I did. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's the prequel to Rebels. I've lost interest in the thing. Okay. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. Also, if you go to patreon.com slash trek.fm, you can donate to trek.fm in order to keep us on the air. You can see sort of like the goals that they have. You know, the first goal is to get um, money to pay for the hosting and stuff like that, which is really expensive. And then the the next goal would be to uh, hire editors. And then it just goes from there, like new equipment for us and moving all of our stuff from Amazon to Libsyn and everything. It's all detailed there. We have as, stuff on Amazon? Yeah. I didn't even know that. As well as um, the the list of incentives for donating. Yeah. There's some cool stuff on there, like getting bonus content, you know, which if we can decide on what that bonus content would be, uh, we, we, we would be able to uh, make some of that for you. There's also uh, a thing like you can get episodes early, which means we would have to finish them more than uh, an hour before posting them, which would be give a us some time before us. you donate to that amount. <laughs> but there's other, or cool- at least like give us a heads up if you're going to push us to that level, because there's there's also uh, it would just be good to know ahead of time. Yeah, <laughs> there's also some cool stuff on there like uh, you know you can sit in on a recording. Which would be really interesting here. Um, I guess you'd have to come to our apartment, but I don't know. We'd figure that one out. 
uh, you know, things like that. Uh, cool stuff. Cool stuff. You can like, you can actually participate in an episode of the Ready Room if you want. So just go to uh, Patreon.com/TrekFM and you'll find all the information there. And we thank you for supporting Trek FM. Well, that's about it for this week. As always, you can find us right here on Trek FM where we do this show. You can also find me on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, or you can find us on our website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do Commentary Track Stars Off Topic with Brandon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also find... Eventually, me. once again, with Brandon. Yeah, I talked to him today. Really? So, yeah. He called me up and told me his availability, which is like 30 minutes a week. So... Yeah, anyway, and uh, also um, you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. So that's it for Damon Lindelof again. Next week we are going to do our third round of Nicholas Meyer, this time looking at his most recent television miniseries, Houdini. Can we do another version of that where the sentence comes out weird, like normally typed? No. 